And now for the first reading from Psalm 99, all the verses 1 through 9. Please follow along if you want to in your pew Bibles. <laughs> the Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. The word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 44. I invite you to actively listen or to read along in your pew Bible. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son. Whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. 
The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. The word of God for the people of God. How many of you remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Anyone? I was about 12 or so when the movie came out. It was my gateway to adventure movies, or at least all adventure movies that Harrison Ford was in. If you remember, or if you are not, if you've never seen the movie or it's been a while, it is, Indy is trying to find his father who is in search of the Holy Grail, supposedly the chalice that Jesus the Christ used. And of course, Indy is running, like always, from bad people. In this case, two characters, Elsa and Donovan, who follow him right into the temple where the Holy Grail is kept. Upon arriving at the Grail's chambers, they all discover that the true grail is hidden among dozens of fake grails. Only the true grail brings life, while the false grail claims it. Donovan, one of the bad guys, not being a historian, has no idea which grail to choose. And Elsa, the other bad person, offers to select it for him. She, purposely selecting incorrectly, 
chooses one that is most elaborate, one with the most precious jewels, clearly the one that is most costly, the shiniest one, the gold one. And as Donovan goes to fill it with water with hopes of having everlasting life, he says, certainly this is the cup of the king of kings. And after he drinks it, he soon realizes he has chosen poorly, and he withers away, turning to dust. The real grail, a simple cup, one of a poor carpenter, nothing fancy, dull, ordinary, humble. We live and move in a world where we have been trained to perceive greatness in a very certain way. Greatness is distinguished. Greatness equates to athleticism or intelligence or beauty. Greatness is an acquisition of status. Greatness equals bigger, and bigger is better. Bigger ideas, bigger beliefs, bigger and better means more money, more power, and greatness is always to be pursued. Because if not, you're lazy or you're dumb. Greatness is to have favor. And we have entire systems based on greatness. We have economic systems dependent on always growing, always expanding, always getting bigger, always being great. Er. Even leadership strategies, all based on greatness. I was Googling them, and books popped up called Think Bigger, The Personal Greatness Project, Grow to Greatness. Sports team selections, I mean, who doesn't want the best athlete. Even theologies, like the prosperity gospel, all systems based on greatness. Now, I'm not equating these things to bad. Okay, some of them are. <laughs> but too often, we choose to overlook the good things that are right in front of us. Perhaps our house isn't the biggest, but we have a roof over our heads. Maybe we don't have all the money in the world, but our needs are met. We don't see the blessings right at our fingertips, that life is actually sweet and good. And God's greatness can and is being experienced in the most mediocre miracles. 
In our gospel reading this morning, we find Jesus and Peter, John and James up on a mountaintop praying. And they have a most amazing experience on this mountain. While they were praying, Jesus' appearance begins to change and he starts to glow and they are visited by well-known ghostly prophets and they hear God's voice. This is known as the great transfiguration moment. This is the moment that is said that Peter, John, and James realize who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, the King of kings, the Messiah. God's greatness is revealed. But they have to keep it to themselves. Oftentimes on Transfiguration Sunday, this is where the story ends. But this morning, we hear more of this story. And we come down the mountain with the disciples to learn that a boy is in need of healing. An only child. He is seized by a spirit that is causing him convulsions. And Jesus is asked to heal this boy. And the disciples have tried, and they couldn't. And Jesus appears a bit disappointed in the disciples. And he heals this boy, and everyone is amazed at the greatness of God. Luke's Gospel is all about seeing. Over and over, we hear stories about what Jesus sees that others do not. And what do people see in Jesus and say who he is? In this story, where is the glory of God seen and experienced. High up on a mountain? Yes. But is that the only place that God's greatness is recognized? Do you have to go to a mountaintop to experience God's greatness or a pillar on a cloud or high in the heavens? Do you have to hear a voice from heaven or enter into a temple or have a vision or your face has to glow? Is it only there? Or can it also be experienced off the mountain? down in the community and the healing of a boy. Perhaps that is where the real transfiguration takes place. During my ordination, 
The sermon that was shared that day encouraged me to have the kind of vision and ministry that can see things up close and far away. I was encouraged to have nearsightedness and farsightedness, to see up close those whom are not seen or heard or easily forgotten, as well as to have the farsightedness to understand the bigger picture of what was going on. And this kind of sight has little to do with our eyes. Seeing isn't just about our eyes. If someone responds with the phrase, Oh, I see, they are explaining something much bigger than vision. They are saying, Oh, I understand. Oh, I see your perspective. Because we know that seeing is also about listening and understanding and compassion, and removing our ego, and removing our biases, and paying attention. This week, we enter into Lent, a time when we intentionally cultivate opportunities to listen where we intentionally look inward to consider what we are missing from our faith lives. It is a time where we seek a richer relationship with Jesus. During Lent, or any time of year, really, it is when we ask, where will we see God's greatness? And while we may look in all the obvious places, sure, high up on a mountain or in the sanctuary or in the clouds, might we allow ourselves to look in the less obvious places? The places that make us uncomfortable. The places that perhaps we would never consider new experiences or hard conversations? Might we ask this Lent, how might we be transfigured? And where might we see God's greatness? Let it be so.